Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. It's, uh, no, it is really great to be here. I'm really grateful for your uh, support, both uh, Vedan and the other Hills campuses and Mount Barker for your ongoing support of um, Baptist World Aid over many years. We're really grateful for that and uh, especially your partnership in Uganda. It's making a difference to the lives of communities, uh, some of the most vulnerable and marginalised people. So uh, thank you so much. Um, and it's really lovely to be able to come and share as part of your missions month. And we get to talk today about, about the posture of God's mission. How does God posture himself towards us? And how do we posture ourselves towards the world in mission? Um, who watched the coronation last night? Yeah? So, you know, um, that's pretty much how God works, right? Um, that's... Uh, that's sort of what it looks like when, um, when God turns up in the world. That's um, sort of uh, this idea of um, the biblical term is incarnation. That, uh, you know, that, that God moves into the neighbourhood. A bit like happened last night. You saw it, the carriages and the horses. It reminded me, we were in London uh, 10 years ago, just a couple of weeks, two weeks ago would have been 10 years ago, and we, uh, we managed to stumble across a parade really similar to that. Um, it was the opening of Parliament. We were meeting a friend in central London, and we didn't even realise it was on, and there were just people everywhere, and uh, that same sort of thing happened. Someone said, if you go down to the palace, uh, you'll be able to see this, and we... we um, lined up and we were behind all the, the barriers and there were all the soldiers and like there were, there were cops with automatic weapons. Like it was just insane. And uh, we saw this thing, you know, the gates of the palace open, all these carriages come out and horses and you saw it, horses and horses and horses, like all, the, all this stuff. And, and the, you, know, you see it on TV, when you sit up close, the amount of gold that the, even the people riding the horses have and all their helmets and like, it's just, it's just like bling personified, right? And, um, and we were about six deep in the crowd because we got there so late, didn't even know it was on. But someone said to us, if you hang around for about an hour, after the Queen's opened the Parliament, they all come back again. Everyone disappears. And you can just stay. And so we did. We just hung around. We went to the park for a bit and came back. And um, we stood right at the front and we watched them all just go past in reverse order. Um, not backwards. That would have been hilarious. But, <laughs> but in reverse order. We watched them all go backwards. Uh, come back and into the and uh, there's this moment where my daughter went oh as the queen come past she said I'm gonna um, just take a selfie so she turned around with her photo and and took this selfie with the queen's carriage behind her when we got home and she blew that up the queen was actually looking straight at the camera and waving and um, so so my daughter calls it her selfie with the queen and that memory pops up on Facebook every year around this time and um, it's the running family joke um, but that's you know, that's how the world does kings being coronated, kings being inaugurated, big things happening. Like it, uh, but it's so different to how God did it. I think it's why um, people find it so hard. That's our only, certainly for us as Aussies who've grown up in this sort of, culture, it's our only picture of what kings look like, right? It's our only picture of royalty and it's not the biblical picture, certainly not how God operates. We can flick to the next slide. This idea of God 
moving into the neighbourhood. The biblical word is incarnation, that, that he took on flesh. You know, Trent read from Philippians 2, before, just before that bit, it talks about Jesus who had everything, gave it all up to become like us. This posture of humility, of grassroots, of ground up. Not really how we would expect a king to arrive. Not really how we would expect God to be. God who rules everything. Well, what a crazy plan. Can you imagine, you know, like if God's having a committee meeting, because God would have, because, you know, God was a Baptist, so he'd always have committee meetings. Um, as he's forming this plan with his, like, his eldership, like, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to change the whole world and I'm going to do it by sending my son as a baby. And you can imagine around the board table, right? People just going, you what? Like, that's crazy. And then I'm going to trust my church to do it all for me. You what? Do you know those people? Like, like I don't think I'm a very good option for God's plan A. And yet somehow that's God's plan A. This idea of incarnation, of moving in to the neighbourhood. Why? Because, because God had this plan. If we can go to the next slide, we, we have what in Luke 4, what we call the Jesus Manifesto. In fact, it was really interesting. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury used this passage last night. This idea of, of Jesus being anointed, of the Spirit coming down from heaven and then Jesus standing up in the synagogue and taking the scrolls, sorry, sitting down and taking the scrolls because he was teaching and reading this passage that we're really familiar with. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the captive. You know the stuff, right? The Jesus Manifesto. This is how the kingdom is going to be. This is what it's going to look like. We're going to free everyone. We're going to, we're going to change the world. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. And Jesus then spent the next three years showing us how to do that, showing us what it looked like. It wasn't just an ideal that Jesus said, I'm going to, uh, three years from now, I'm going to die on the cross and then a few thousand years later, I'm going to come back and then it'll all sort out. Like Jesus said, this is happening now. The kingdom of God is at hand, right, Mark says. The kingdom of God is right here. It's, it's touchable, it's tangible, it's, it's in your midst. You can actually reach out and grab the kingdom wherever you are. And it looks like this. Do you guys know, um, some of you may know Bill Johnson, American pastor. Uh, um, he has this... Uh, I heard this sermon once he preached and he said there was uh, one of the things that people come and ask him and, and it's true for us pastors but people often come and ask us pastor youth pastors would get it especially young adults pastors I'm really trying to work out what to do with my life you know what should I do and um, Bill Johnson says what I tell them is um, it's really easy the scripture's really clear um, heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the leper 
preach the good news to everyone. And they go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant, like, what should I do with my career? You know, should I, should I be a doctor or a nurse or a, an electrician or a plumber or a gardener or what should I do? And uh, he says, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, all right, well, pick one of them and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, preach. Because our, our, uh, our lining up with Jesus' manifesto is that we're involved with him in this kingdom work. And the other things that we do are actually secondary to that. Our primary calling is to be involved in the kingdom work of God. What does that look like? That's what I want to talk about today. What does it look like to be involved in this kingdom work of God? Mark has this idea, and he uses it throughout his gospel, this picture of the kingdom is breaking in. The kingdom is breaking into all the the hurt and the pain and the the brokenness of the world in the systems of the world, in, in the governments of the world, in the churches of the world, the kingdom of God is always breaking in. And Mark, right at the start of his gospel, uses this amazing story to illustrate exactly what that looks like. And that's what I want to have a look at this morning. So Mark chapter two, verses one to 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Actually, what I might do is rather than read it all and then try and remind you, let's just sort of reflect on it as we go through, right? So Jesus has been around. He's done this incarnation thing, right? He's moved into the neighbourhood. There's there's an American author called Hugh Halter that's written a book called Flesh, and it's really worth getting, actually, about doing mission the way Jesus did, doing Jesus-shaped mission. And um, he says the first step of the way that God works is incarnation. He moves into the neighbourhood. He becomes like us. So if we want to do that, that's our first thing that we should do. And he says the second thing that happens is when you move into the neighbourhood and when you start just being Jesus in the neighbourhood, or as Jesus did, being himself in the neighbourhood, you start to get a reputation, You start to get known. You start to be, oh, they're those people. They're the people that turn up and do that stuff. They're the people that serve in this way. That's the family next door that I can always go to for help. I don't know why. They just seem really friendly and they always seem willing to to have a chat or willing, you you know what I mean, right? You start to get a reputation. You start to get known. And so this has happened to Jesus. He's got this reputation. He's teaching in this house. And suddenly, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, not even outside the door. So there's this crowd starts to gather and they're pushing in because there's something different about this guy. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I thought I'd try and find a picture. I went and Googled, go and do this sometime. You can even do it during a sermon if you get bored. Um, Go and Google uh, like the lowering of the paralytic man and you get these dodgy Sunday school sketches. Uh, You get the the pictures. There was not one that was actually useful and suitable for me to bring and uh, put up on the screen today, but you can have a look at them later on. But there's this crazy idea that there's these people who have a friend who is unwell and they've heard about this reputation of Jesus. If only we can get him to Jesus and Jesus can do something. Jesus has a reputation of healing people. Jesus has a reputation of changing lives, of transforming people. So they, they take their friend on this stretcher on this mat and they uh, get to the place where Jesus is and it's packed. 
not just inside, but outside. And so they, uh, most of these houses, you can Google this, and it seems to be accurate, most of these houses had some way to get up onto the roof. Often they would use the roof for storing things. Sometimes they put livestock up on the roof at night or all sorts of stuff. So they, uh, they got up onto the roof. And these roofs were not like, you know, corrugated iron. They were made of generally of mud and thatch, a little bit of timber, and, and then all this mud brick stuff that holds it together. So the only way to do is to actually dig through the roof. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you're inside the place with Jesus. And you're standing there and Jesus is teaching and suddenly this stuff starts to fall down from the roof. Just little bits of straw and little bits of dirt. And you look up and you see a tiny little hole and sort of one finger poking through and just starting to peel back a bit of the roof and then there's two fingers and then there's a whole hand and then there's two hands and then there's four hands and this hole is, what would you think? Like this is crazy, right? It's not a simple thing. It's not a, a nice, neat, clean thing. Some of the pictures you see, there's this lovely square, even hole cut out like they've just pulled up the roofing iron and gently lowered this guy down, right? But this is messy and it's not, unnoticeable, I would imagine. I would imagine that Jesus is trying to teach and within a few minutes, everyone is going and just watching, right? And probably there's this silence. Who knows? Did Jesus keep going? Did he stop? Was Jesus, did Jesus this way? Who, just imagine what it's like, this digging through the roof, this creating this mess. And then they tie some ropes to the corners of the mat, which would have probably been a mat, not a stretcher, so it would have looked like lowering someone in a parachute or something, and they, they drop this guy down right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, their faith, not the guy's faith, actually, their faith, this is what friends do, right? Friends bring friends to Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? Now there's a good dilemma for them to think about a good theological discussion for the religious leaders to have. Hugh Halter in his book talks about this idea of uh, incarnation first and then, then uh, reputation and then it starts a conversation. Why do you do what you do? Why are you lowering your friend down? Jesus, why are you stopping and what's going on? And that conversation leads to confrontation. But often the confrontation is not Jesus saying, not, the only people Jesus actually confronted were the religious leaders, right? Everyone else that met Jesus were confronted by him, but often was like this self-awareness that came and they would say things like, oh, Lord, get away from me, I'm sinful. Or, um, Lord, you know everything about, like there was this confrontation that sort of came from them back towards Jesus as the Holy Spirit revealed stuff to them. It's interesting in our evangelism that so often we start at confrontation. In our mission, that's where we start. That's how I was taught as a teenager growing up in a good Baptist church. Make sure you always have a tract in your back pocket. So just if you get caught on a bus sitting next to someone, you can whip it out and you can confront them. Hello, good morning. How are you? Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? You know, like, <laughs> right? 
seriously, that's how evangelism was taught. You have to be ready all the time and you have to have something to give to them because, you know, what if they got off the bus and walked in front of it and got hit by a bus? Where would they end up that day? Right? You know the stuff. But it's step four, not step one. Incarnation, reputation, conversation, then confrontation. Jesus says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralysed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned, through the stunned onlookers. I'm guessing the guy was probably as stunned as the onlookers were, right? What a transformation. That's the fifth step. Incarnation, reputation, conversation, confrontation, transformation. It's transformation. This guy, what do you do? If, if, if he's been paralysed all his life, what does he do the next day? Think about that for a second. If he's lived off the charity of others all his life, what does he do the next day? Go and get a job? Start contributing to society? Like it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you, when Jesus heals you, you can't stay the same. You know, it's that, that line, am I allowed to talk about Monty Python in a Baptist church? If I'm not, just block your ears. If I am, you know the scene, right, where Jesus, the arms for an ex-leper scene, right? Where the guy had a really fruitful business begging on the side of the road and Jesus came along and healed him and ruined everything. Now, now, now he's begging still arms for an ex-leper because like he doesn't actually want to change. He actually, there's something about him being unwell and being sick that creates his identity in him. And he's formed this identity around this is who I am now and I will only relate to the world as you will only know me as someone who is unwell. You will only know me as a beggar. You will only know me as someone who you have to help. But when Jesus heals you, when Jesus transforms you, Life becomes different. You actually have to change the way you interact with people. And so the guy walks out and people are like, we have never seen anything like this before. It's a crazy story, right? And Mark says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is breaking in. It's like God is coming to us and tearing off the roof. There's Old Testament scriptures that talk about, God, would you tear the heavens open and come down? It's the same picture, that God is ripping off the roof. God is digging holes in the roof to reach us. And the call for us is to do the same, to dig holes in the roofs in our neighbourhood, to work in partnership with the kingdom as it breaks in to our schools and to our workplaces and to our families and to our neighbourhoods. To rip off the roofs, to dig holes in the roofs and bring the kingdom wherever we go. But I love this thing that Jesus asks asks the religious leaders. Which is easier? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say... Get up, take up your mat and walk. And in that little phrase, Jesus touches on something that 
is an ongoing conversation in so many churches today. What's more important, that their souls are saved or that they're healed? What's more important, that their physical needs are met or that their spiritual needs are met? And Jesus says, I'll show you that their spiritual needs are met by meeting their physical needs. The two are intertwined. You can't have evangelism without, you know, I'm going to use a word here that, you know, social action. You can't have evangelism without social justice and you can't have social justice without evangelism. The two actually are together in the kingdom of God. When, when we're ripping roofs off, when, when the kingdom is breaking in, God is concerned about all of that. Every single bit of it. And sometimes, and Jesus even did this, right? Jesus healed people who never acknowledged him. Remember the lepers that he healed and it was 10 lepers and they all went away and only one came back and acknowledged him? Oh, well, that's not a very good uh, return on investment. So uh, maybe we should stop that. There's this thing about when we, when we position ourselves with the kingdom that we're actually getting involved in not just sharing the good news about Jesus, but demonstrating the good news about Jesus with the way we act, with the way we spend our money, with the way we give our time, with the way we engage with our neighbours. And not just, we don't just do the good works just to get them across the line in the kingdom stuff, Right? You know, it's not, a, it's not like some bait and switch thing, you know, where someone invites you for dinner and then as you're halfway through this lovely dinner, they pull out the whiteboard and say they've got a business opportunity for you to think about. That's happened before. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not leading them down one path. We love people because Jesus loved people. We serve people because Jesus served them because they're created in the image of God and they have dignity and they have worth and they have value to God. That's why Baptist World Aid do what we do. That's why you guys do what you do in partnering with us. Scriptures are filled with stories of people who brought what they had no matter how small and generously gave with a joyful heart. Aren't they? I think the classic one is the, the kid that brought the loaves and fishes and Jesus, that Jesus used to feed the fire. I can't. I've only got this little thing. But sometimes when we bring the little thing that we have in our hands, the kingdom economics of that is that God uses it in significant ways. God multiplies it. Small gifts given with great generosity and great joy make a huge difference. Certainly the way Baptist World Aid work, the way other organisations work too. Like, like you can use a little bit and you can, you can multiply that. You can, you can magnify that by partnering well, by, by doing good work, by, by doing good development. You can change lives of whole communities with just a little bit of money. There's this line in John's Gospel, right at, the, right at the end, near the end of John's Gospel. The day Jesus 
is resurrected. At the end of the day, the disciples are meeting in the upper room and they're scared and they don't know what's going on and they're confused. Some are saying they've seen Jesus and some are saying they haven't and they don't know what's going on. Right? It must be, it must be just traumatic and confusing. We, don't, we sort of just wash over it, but they had no idea what was going on. And Jesus appears in the room, just turns up. And a couple of times he's had to say to them, like, peace be with you, like, settle down, it's okay. It really is me, just calm down, take a chill pill. Probably, that's probably not an exact translation of the Greek, but um, peace. And then he breathes on them and he, he um, it's what some theologians call uh, John's Pentecost. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, for many years, you know when you, you read a passage over and over and over again and you, you sort of read it in a certain way and then suddenly you're reading it sometime and you get this moment of, ah, oh. I had one of those a number of years ago now, reading this passage like it was, as the Father sent me, so I send you, which I always thought was, you know, God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. Right? This linear thing. God sends Jesus, Jesus sends us. But I was praying and reading the scripture one day and the word as really stood out to me. I was thinking about that and I, I think what this passage is saying is in the same way that God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. Now that's different, right? Not just that God sent, God sent Jesus and Jesus sends us, but in the same way, to do the same things, to go back to that Luke 4 Jesus manifesto, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to, to proclaim release to the captive, to do all those things that the kingdom looks like. We better spend time not just focusing on the cross. Now, the cross is important. Let's just make it legal in a Baptist church. The cross is important. The resurrection is important. But the three years before that are just as important. The way Jesus did it, the way Jesus interacted with people, with the rich people, with the poor people, with the people on the margins, with the woman caught in adultery, with, with the religious leaders, the way Jesus did it was just as important as what he did. And when he sends us, he sends us in the same way. So we'd better learn to do things the way Jesus did them. We better learn what incarnation is. We better learn what it means to give up our stuff to become humble and posture ourselves towards the world the same way that God did. Because that's our call. That's our call. Our call is to do some roof digging for Jesus. And in our homes, I mean, you can do it in your home. You can go home and practice if you want to. I mean, that's, you know, um, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, in our unis, in our workplaces, in our cafes, in all the places, in our sporting clubs. We're called to bring the kingdom. We're called to rip the roof off and allow the kingdom of God to come in. But what we're called to do locally, we're also called to do globally with the most vulnerable. Now, not many of you can go and rip a roof off in Uganda. But the good news is, I know a guy. 
This is what your partnership does. As you pray, as you learn, as you generously give to your mission partners and especially to Baptist World Aid, as you do that, we have mission partners in, in Uganda who are doing exactly the same thing in their community, who are ripping the roofs off in their communities and bringing the kingdom where they are. It's an amazing picture, right? We do it here, they do it there, and we're involved together in this thing of bringing the kingdom wherever God's people are. So my question to you is, what's God up to today? What's he asking you to do? How are you ripping the roofs off? How are you roof digging in your own community? How are you working with God to see the kingdom break in in your own community? And then how are you praying and acting and giving generously for the same thing to happen with some of the world's most vulnerable people? Lots of ways we can talk about that. I know you're taking up an offering this month and some of that's coming to Baptist World Aid and going to other mission partners. We've also got some stuff up the back there that we can talk about in terms of sponsoring children. This church has a great history of sponsoring children in Uganda. I think there's about 25 or 30 kids sponsored in communities in Uganda and we'd love to add to that today. But whatever it is, will you take the time, especially this month as you think about mission, to not just ask the question, how do we support mission overseas? I mean, I'm happy for you to ask that question. I'm happy to take your money, like seriously, you know, that's my job. Um, but well, what are you saying to me about my own neighbourhood? What are you saying to me about my friends? How can I posture myself humbly? How can I move into the neighbourhood fully? How can I engage with my neighbourhood fully? How can I engage with my next door neighbour? The most radical mission thing you may do this week is have a cup of coffee with your next door neighbour. Or give $10,000 to Baptist World Aid. One of those two. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? That there is this call on us that whether, whether it's local, whether it's in our state, whether it's in our nation or whether it's globally, if we're called to be kingdom people, then we're called to be people that humbly posture ourselves to the world and give everything we have, give up all of it for our primary call of serving the kingdom and of seeing God transform this world. Let's pray together. I don't normally do this, but I just feel like, would you just stand with me? Is that okay? Holy Spirit, we just thank you that it's your job to take these words and the ones that aren't relevant to drop off and the ones that are just to plant seeds in people's hearts and minds. And Lord, would you do that this morning? Lord, as we stand before you we're reminded again of our call to be kingdom people, to be people who are on mission, people who rip the roofs off of our communities and our families to bring our friends to Jesus. Lord, would we do it humbly? 
would we know that small things make big differences. Small acts of kindness and generosity transform lives. So Holy Spirit, fill us again. Refresh us and renew us and renew in in us this heart for our neighbourhoods, for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, for, for all the places we're involved in. Stirring us again. The desire to be kingdom people, we pray. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.